1: To claim your free welcome bonus, that's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business.
0: Introducing the Godfather at Chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday,
2: I will call upon you to do a service
0: for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome
1: to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Now, you're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fan- Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Featuring Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds. He fires. Swing and a miss. Right play. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship.
3: Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 283 of the show. Gentlemen, welcome back. Um, This week, we don't have a a guest on the show. We're back to our regularly scheduled programming, and we've got about two weeks of baseball stuff to to get you caught up on. So uh, how are you guys?
0: Doing great, Jake. How are you?
3: Better than Chris Sale's scapula.
0: Truth.
2: Better than Kike Hernandez's arm?
3: Uh, more accurate, <laughs> for sure.
2: Last thing I saw before we walked in here. Man on second, two outs. Routine ground ball to Kike.
3: Yeah,
2: throws it into the dugout. Yeah, he loves doing that. That's uh,
3: Loves that's it more estate. than anyone I know. Yes. So on this episode of the show, what we are going to do is we're going to get you caught up on the state of the Sox. We're going to look at kind of what's been going on with the team over the last month or so from a, uh, you know, thousand foot view here. Um, We're going to talk about some of the injuries. And then I think most importantly, uh, to where the Red Sox are right now, we're going to play a little game of if the Red Sox do decide to be sellers at the deadline, who might go? And um, we're going to. Do a little game of should they sell or should they keep this player? So I think that's going to be a fun segment. And then we'll get to uh, a listener question as well. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, It's June 12th. The Red Sox are as average a baseball team as average can be. And when I say that, I mean it. They're 33 and 33. As we go into this, they're currently playing the Rockies right now. They're tied one to one. Um, But this still remains true. Their run differential is exactly zero. They have scored the same amount of runs as they have given up, which is, uh, I I found remarkable to be a 500 baseball team with an exactly zero run differential. Doesn't that uh, just seem a little poetic, guys?
0: Yeah, (laughs) it actually does.
2: It, It seems nearly impossible, but... Then you start thinking about it, and it's like, this is the most 500 team of 500 teams I've ever watched in my life. So yeah, mathematically, it's nearly impossible, but it's not that surprising.
3: Yeah, and uh, if we had started recording this just 10 minutes before we did, it would have been uh, uh, negative by one, but they are back to zero, so uh, it remains true. So far in June, they're five and six, despite the fact that they just took two out of three in the Bronx from the Yankees. Um, But, you know, the reason why they are such an average baseball team, at least over the last 30 days, is they've been a really bad offensive club. So let me give you some ranks here for the Red Sox. They rank 27th in Offensive War, uh, 23rd in WRC Plus at 90, 24th in OPS Plus at 699, and most alarmingly to me they're 29th out of 30 teams over the last 30 days with just 20 home runs hit uh, to put that in perspective atlanta leads the majors over that time span with 48 home runs so more than double devers has been putting up some poor numbers 94 wrc plus uh, verdugo 90 duran 38 um, those are some of the biggest reasons why the team has struggled And only Masataki Yoshida and Justin Turner have posted a WRC Plus over 100 um, during the last month. So let me go to you first, Bob. I mean, why do you think this team is struggling so massively? Um, And, you know, especially because during the first part of this year, um, really the first month and a half or so of the, the season, I mean, this offense was really humming along and looking like one of the strengths. So what do you think changed?
2: Yeah, I I think part of it is the thirty days that you've chosen there. I think it's a streaky team. Uh, if you split it out by month, you know they have a two fifty seven average in April and a two seventy two average in May and then a two thirty average in June. So I think they've really sucked this last ten days to two weeks. Um, I think in they've had more away games and they've had home games, and they really, you know, with the exception of a slow start tonight, they play really well at Fenway. Um, their home road splits as a team are pretty crazy. They've played exactly 33 home games and 33 away games on the season. Um, they have a 288 average at home and a 228 average on the road, they have 831 OPS at home and a 675 OPS on the road. Um, you know, I, I don't think that Fenway gets enough credit for being a hitter's park. You know, if you if you look at the, the park factors on StatCast, they have the three year rolling park factors. It's Coors at 112, and then it's Fenway at 109. And then it's Great American Ballpark at 108, which I know has probably more home runs um, and is kind of known as Coors Light of course light yeah um but <laughs> <laughs> well of course light is what you need to watch this team but yes I, I,
3: point taking but Fenway is really a doubles park right I mean, right that's what and that's so
2: that's the one that blows it away I think it's like by far the park factor with the most doubles and You know, they have 87 doubles at home and 59 doubles on the road. So they've had more games over the last 30 days on the road. They're coming off a road trip where they just didn't hit well at all, even the games that they're winning. Like, you look at Sunday night being a 3-2 win in extra innings. They've had a lot of wins like that, even when they have won over the last month. So I think that's part of it. I think they have a streaky team. I think that they've just been awful hitting on the road. Um... And then, you know, if you break the splits out even further, you see that position by position, like the outfield is very good third base. You know, Devers has been a bit disappointing, but the home runs are there. And then you look at shortstop and it's 210 average and a 285 OBP, and a 348 slugging and a 632 OPS from that position. And just goes back to not taking care of that position. At the beginning of the season, a year ago, during the season, any of that. I mean, two ten, and also leading the league in errors by far at the position. They're just getting so little from shortstop. Um, And I don't think that's changing anytime soon.
3: Well, let me ask you this, Keaton. Um, You know, coming into the year, when we looked at this lineup, uh, nobody thought they would be the offense that they were for the first month and a half, where they were like, you know... One of the best offenses in baseball. Adam Duvall came into the season about as hot as a, as a hitter has, has ever been. And even when he's been back here for just a couple days, he's looked pretty good. But, you know, we were worried about who was going to protect Devers in the lineup. I think that worry still exists. Um, I think you could argue Verdugo played over his head for a while. Duran played over his head for a while you know, my my question here for you, Keaton, is are the Red Sox really the team that we were sort of worried about a little bit offensively coming into the year? Or are they that team that we saw in the first month? Like, what is the true talent level of this team? And is this a team that you expect to struggle to hit the long ball over the rest of the season?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's yeah that's it's a tough question I don't think I guess yes and no I think we had questions about what the ceiling of the offense could be but I think the way that we thought they would struggle is not exactly the way that they are currently struggling the way we thought they would struggle is with depth and to an extent we're seeing that happen but it's really guys just kind of going through lulls and then I mean like Bob laid out all those splits they're really 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 struggling on the road and we're still waiting for Devers to kind of hit his stride um which I feel like it's got to happen at some point he's going to go on a heater and he's going to take off uh and be the Devers that we know and love but we're we're seeing guys that just are going massively cold and I think for the team as a whole, it's just been really inconsistent, which is kind of what we saw a lot of last year. And we have seen what the potential of the rotation can be. We've seen what the potential of the bullpen can be. We've see, we saw with the first like month and a half, like you pointed out, what the potential of the offense could be. If they could get all three of those things working at the same time, this could be a very good, incredibly fun ball club to watch. And they'd win a whole buttload of games. They just can't get all those three things working together, which then I think kind of comes back to the depth part because we know every team eventually deals with injuries. Guys kind of go through slumps, but then there are guys to pick it up, and the rest of us just don't have that. So they're getting some guys back, but we can't obviously hang our hats on all of that. Like when Story comes back, when Duvall – Uh, who is back now, obviously isn't, you know, hitting 500 and hitting a home run every at bat, which I don't think we expected to last forever. Um, Those things aren't going to kind of uh, solve all their problems. Although hopefully (laughs) at least story coming back could potentially solve uh, one of their major problems. But then the other piece is the defense. We did not think the defense was going to be this bad at all defense last year was actually kind of like a sneaky positive for them. And this year, it is just an absolute goddamn disaster, and they're throwing games away with it. So
3: Literally throwing games away, as <laughs> yeah, KK literally. has done multiple times. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I think it's the the inconsistencies and the struggles paired a little bit with the depth, which is what we we kind of figured was going to be the the struggle here, and then just the defense being so goddamn awful that has really kind of led to this this mediocre run here
3: yeah well i i mean i i agree with that i think that um you know everything you guys pointed out about this offense was true i think one thing that that just to put a bow on the offense that they have succeeded in is you know bloom has made an offense that strikes out less and uh grinds out at bats and i think that that type of baseball should they figure out a way to make the postseason actually plays really well in the postseason. But I think that uh, when guys have lulls like this, they can struggle to score runs. And that's what we're kind of seeing right now. But um, let's get to the pitching side of things, because that's been a real positive for the Red Sox over the last 30 days. So um, I remember for the first month and a half on this show, just talking about what a mess the starting pitching was. And it was, it was a colossal mess. It was one of the worst rotations in baseball for a while. Um, But currently, over the last 30 days, it ranks 11th in F4 in baseball, 8th in ERA, uh, which is now actually a little out of date because Paxton threw a gem, so it's even better than that. Um, Bayo over the last 30 days, 2.79 ERA. Paxton all the way down to three point zero nine, Whitlock, three point three eight sale before he got injured, one point nine oh and Houck, still not looking really like a starter at five point one nine. um a couple things here. uh, Bayo progressing even better than we thought he would. I mean, we thought that a breakout was possible for Bayo, but he's pitching incredible right now really thrown with a lot of confidence. But I think the two most surprising things to me here are Paxton basically coming back and and not skipping a beat, literally having no rust at all. He's been remarkably good, um, and he was wonderful again tonight. And then Whitlock, since he's come back, and and Bob, I'm going to let you wax poetic about his changeup here in a minute, but 3.38 ERA, has looked really in control, really, really good. Um so I I guess Bob, which which of these guys has surprised you the most out of the Bayo, Paxton, Whitlock crew? Um and do you think these guys can kinda keep this up for the rest of the year? And is this truly a strength of the team now?
2: Um well it's a strength of the team if the uh the guy that you referenced there was still leading the pack. Um, you know, I think Bayo, Whitlock, Paxton in some sort of order as a 2, 3, and 4 is really good. Now, to answer your question, the most surprising of the three to me is Paxton. Um, as you said, like, came out of the shoot, like, the first game with the velocity that was there and the command... And I think he had one outing that was subpar. And other than that, he's commanding the strike zone. He's throwing hard. His secondaries are good. And he's pitching deep into games. Um, Who knows how long it's going to last. And that's the problem with Chris Sale and James Paxton. And we talked about in the off season, we talked about during the season, you know, how long are these guys all going to stay healthy together? Well, they've already lost one of them, probably the uh, most damaging of all of them in Chris Sale. So, I think it was really lining up to be a good staff. And as you said with Whitlock, you know, same thing. Pitching deep into games, taking the pressure off of the bullpen that had been put on them in previous weeks. And it was all kind of falling into place a little bit there. And they got Pavetta out of the rotation, and he's looked pretty decent in the bullpen. And they got Kluber out of the rotation, and he's looked pretty friggin' terrible in the bullpen. But it, it just it was lining up really well, and then... Um, sure, we'll talk about it, but a real stomach punch happening last week. Um, so I, I think it's a strength. I think they can continue to build on that. And this is what I had hoped for Whitlock, what I had hoped for Bayo, um, And you could kind of, you had a vision of, of where things, if they could put things all together. Um, and Whitlock's changeup is a totally different pitch this year. And Bayo kind of figuring out how to sequence and pitching with confidence, as you said, you know, last night giving up two runs in seven innings, and it was only because a routine grounder went off the base. It should have been seven shutout innings for Baio. Um So, yeah, I, I just, uh, it's a little bit bittersweet because uh, I, I think they could have really built off of that if the first part that we talked about, if the bats got going. Uh, it's just going to be a lot tougher path at this point.
3: Yeah, and the injury to Chris Sale is what makes this uh, path forward Look really tough. And, um, you know, Sale did everything we wanted him to do. We, we had talked about before the season started how when he's been on the mound, um, you know, since coming back from Tommy John, he's actually pitched pretty much like Chris Sale. And he even started to look more and more like that ace as the 1.9 ERA over the last 30 days kind of shows. Um, but Sale has hit the IL, 60-day IL with a stress reaction. In his scapula, shoulder, um, you know, he's expected to miss between two and four months. Uh, A couple of the timelines I saw Michael Walker had this. He was back in two and a half months. Jacob DeGrom had this. uh, He was back in four months. With Chris Sale, I think it's safe to kind of uh, go towards the longer side because his rehabs have tended to to go that way. But Keaton, my question to you is without Chris Sale at the head of this rotation, you know, is this a sign to the team with all their other issues that really they should be sellers at the deadline? Or is this, you know, just something that the team needs to work through? They shouldn't waste what is looking to be pretty good years from Bayo, Paxton, and Whitlock, and maybe they should go out and be aggressive and, you know, get somebody who can pitch towards the top of the rotation at the deadline maybe go out and try and make a play for a Shane Bieber you know somebody else like that Um, what's your take on this situation what's the smart play here
0: yeah I mean to me it screams need a more reliable ace Um, and I mean with that you could have when Chris Sale is healthy a nice two-headed monster there at the top that Makes the rest of the rotation um, pretty scary with its length. When you know you can rely on Chris Sale, but we had uh, in our preseason roundtable, one of the questions that Dan posed to us was, "Who's the most important player on the roster for the 2023 season?" And the consensus was really Chris Sale, and a lot of us, including myself, felt that the team and definitely the rotation kind of goes as Chris Sale goes. And when he's healthy, the rotation looks great because it pushes everybody else down into their roles. We don't have guys kind of pitching above themselves. Uh, and when he's not there, then that you have guys pitching above their roles. And then, um, I mean, at least the, the bullpen was better prepared this season uh, than last season where we had – guys that should have been in the bullpen making starts and then that was pulling them out of where their roles should have been and it was just an absolute mess. But they're at least more prepared for that this year and actually having structure in the bullpen. Um, so now with Chris Sale out, the bullpen still looks like a bullpen. So I guess that's a positive. But it's still, again, like you're you're getting, um, you know, the spot starts and things from guys like Carter Crawford um, who, who you've – talked about Jake as being that guy that's in kind of like that swing long relief role that seems to fit him pretty well and he's had a lot of success with. Now he's being pulled out of that at times uh, to get starts because they need guys to make starts and uh, you know we end up pulling random guys in from A to get starts because we need to give the entire bullpen and pitchings to have a day off because uh, they're exhausted because they basically don't have it. They've been just overused. So yeah, it has a massive effect when he's not there. Um, so either they need to have a, a more strategic plan, or they need a, a more reliable ace. And I'm, I'm all for having a more reliable ace. I think that makes a, just too much sense <laughs> for this team. Um, so that would be the direction that I would go. And I think um, you know a guy like Bieber it makes a ton of sense. Um, probably a couple other options will pop up between now and the trade deadline too. Um, that could be explored and I hope would be explored. Um, but yeah, I still believe that the the team and the rotation kind of rises and falls with Chris Sale. and Not having him there is going to be a big hole to fill. And that, that's, that's going to be tough.
3: Yeah, it's hard to argue uh, that Chris Sale isn't the most important player on this team. Um, I would definitely agree with you there. And I believe I did agree with you preseason as well. Um, you know, one of the things that has happened as a result of, of a couple things here, um, uh, of the sale injury of Kluber's ineffectiveness, Pavetta's ineffectiveness as a starter, um, Josh Winkowski, you know, moving to a leverage role in the bullpen, you know, the, the starting pitching depth for this team is all of a sudden being tested in the three guys that we were sort of counting on at AAA and Mata, and Murphy, um, and um, uh, the other name I'm blanking on, Walter, Walter. um, have just not really panned out in that role either. So now they are relatively thin. And and like you said, I think that's a good point about Cutter Crawford. They're taking him out of a role where he was pretty successful and putting him in the rotation now, and uh, it's not clear to me that that's the best thing either.
0: I do want to say, though, to... Uh, to piggyback on um, basically everything that Bob just said, I was completely wrong about James Paxton, and he has been tremendous. I was I had zero expectations for him coming into the year, just basically because he hadn't pitched uh, or had only pitched twenty two innings since twenty nineteen, and I had I really didn't think that he could be relied on really in kind of like any capacity this year at all. I was completely wrong. He has come out of this basically out of the shoot, like, way beyond anything I ever expected. And he actually has the highest K per nine of his career right now. Um, wow 20, 26 innings, honestly, obviously isn't a ton, but he has never had in, like, any sample size. Well, I guess the one sample size where he had a 1.1 innings in a season, so I'm not going to count that because that isn't a sample size. Uh, has never had a K per nine over 12. It's a 12 and a half right now. Uh, he's not walking guys. He's keeping the ball in the yard. He's getting grounders for outs. I mean, he, he's, he's doing so much right right now, and he came out of the gate doing it immediately. He's been way better than I could have anticipated. That's a yeah, big I, boost.
3: I think he's easily been the biggest surprise this year. That's for sure. And for $4 million bucks, it's uh, tough to complain about that. I think... That's as valuable as it gets right there.
2: So if you look at K-BB, just to go off of what Keaton's saying, he's at 24.8% right now. And if you look at anyone with 20 innings or more, which he has, the only starters that have a better K-BB than Paxton are Gaussman and Strider and DeGrom. That's pretty good company. Yeah. So, Yeah, I mean, do I think he can do that for 150 innings? Probably not but he's on a crazy pace. Yeah. Yeah, he really is.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: I think it's fair, though, to to kind of put you guys on the spot here. Um, With where the Red Sox stand right now, they're last in their division. They're four games back to the final wild card spot. Um, and I think it's another fair question to ask is, you know, are all four of the AL East teams in front of them right now a better team than them? Let me ask you this first, Bob. What do you think?
2: Yes. Yeah, all four AL East teams are better than them. The team I thought before the season would finish 5th and Boston 4th was Baltimore and they are 41 and 24 so I can't possibly say that Boston's a better team it's not even close so far Um, so yeah I mean I I, I look at all the other ones and I don't know what case I could make to to say that they are Um, so yeah Baltimore's passed them and I think they're 5th in the AL East for a reason are you in the same boat, Keaton?
0: Yeah, and I was right there with Bob thinking that Baltimore wasn't going to be very good this year, and I was extremely wrong about that. Well, I remember
3: being ridiculed on this podcast for saying that Baltimore <laughs> could finish with a better record than the
2: Yankees, so take yeah. that, guys. We got to pull that audio because we shit on you pretty good. Yeah. We were asking what what you had spiked your drink with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Every once in a while, I get something right. Um, but, yeah, I I think if we agree that all four AL East teams are better than them, and I would count myself as, as one of those, right now, I think that there's just so many attractive pieces on this team to other teams, uh, and there are so few uh, true sellers that the Red Sox could probably make out pretty well if they were to be sellers. So... What we're going to do now is run through a bunch of players who are on shorter-term contracts with the Red Sox and uh, see whether or not you guys think that they should sell or keep this player. So let's start off in the bullpen. Uh, Maybe the most important position at the trade deadline, bullpen and, and starting pitchers typically get the biggest hauls here. Kenley Jansen, who's having a great season as the closer, he's signed through 2024 uh, let's start with you, Keaton. Would you sell or keep Kenley Jansen at the deadline? Keep. Okay, uh, Bob. Would you sell or keep Kenley Jansen?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm keeping Jansen. More than anything, so that I don't have to spend the whole off season saying the most important thing that they need to do is find a yep. top tier or second tier closer. Exact they have that. same
0: thought process for me. <laughs>
2: Okay, and he's perfect. been that, and he's at a reasonable price for another year, and I just think that that's, um, you know, I think they there there are some better options if they do choose to sell.
3: I yeah, I I kind of agree with you guys. I would be fine if they get completely bowled over, um, for you know, by an offer for him. But I do love the idea of having somebody who you know can pitch and close games out at Fenway, and I think that. You know, the team's not far enough away that uh, if you've got a guy signed for 2024 of that caliber, you know, yeah, tough to tough to part with that guy.
0: Yeah, we just went through three off seasons in a row of just praying to God they'd find a closer. I would love to not have to do that for one off season.
3: Yeah, it'd be a nice little mental break for us. Um, the next player would be Justin Turner, uh, who was brought in for his clubhouse presence. Uh, he's got a player option for 2024. Uh, let's start with you, Bob. Sell or keep?
2: Uh, I would keep Turner. I, you know, that Partially because I think he's going to be tough to move. It's a, a $13.5 million player option with a $6.5 buyout. Um, so I feel like they would have to kind of kick some money in. And Turner's been a good player. And he's been a great clubhouse guy by all accounts. And... Um, I don't know. I I think that's someone that you should keep around for twenty twenty four. He's been a he's been a good hitter. He's uh, acclimated well to Boston, so uh, I'd like to see them keep him. How about you, Keats?
0: I'd be okay with it. Keeping I, him? Uh, selling.
2: Oh, selling.
3: Okay. Yeah. Why would you be okay selling selling Turner? Do you think he's going to fetch a really good return, or is it just that you know you feel like? a little bit expendable at this point
0: yeah expendable looking towards the future i don't i don't see him as critical to the 2024 roster
3: so this one was tough for me i think on paper uh it looks like somebody who you should sell but i think that what we've seen at the past trade deadlines is has been that returns for hitters especially older hitters has been kind of underwhelming and I think I'd rather have the player here in the clubhouse um, moving forward. So so for me, Justin Turner's a keep just based on kind of what we've seen for players like him uh, at the deadline. Uh, the next one here is Kike Hernandez. He's going to be a free agent after this season. Uh, I'm starting to think this might be the first player we have true consensus on here. Um because Jansen I was a little bit iffy on, but uh, I would sell Kike Hernandez. Do either of you disagree with me?
0: No. Yeah, here's the thing. I don't, but who is going to play the middle infield if you do trade him? Pablo Reyes. Pablo...
2: In
3: Arroyo well, and anybody you can find well
2: I, I feel like we have to clarify this is if they are eight games out and they're selling right, and then you have right. the off season to figure out who's playing the middle infield because if they're yeah. if they're All selling, right. then who cares who's playing the middle in my opinion, what are they going to do? Throw it away fifteen times <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Give Bobby his <Diaz> due <laughs> well, I think so that. Th-
3: Sorry, go ahead, Jake. I I was just gonna say the reason why I think he's an easy sell is because I think he's mis miscast on this team, and you've said this before, Bob, and I think it's a good point. Like, Kike is best either as a center fielder, as somebody who, if he gives you any offense, it's just a plus, or as a utility player who can move around. That's what the benefit of Kike is. You know, he's a good clubhouse guy. He can play all over the place. The role that he played with the Dodgers was great. And I think there's still a lot of uh, attractiveness to a guy who can play all those positions. And, you know, center field is not particularly deep in major league baseball right now. And I think there's probably a lot of contenders who would love to have his defense as an option. So I don't think he's an unattractive piece to other teams
2: at this point. the. the That's what I was going to say, is I think that he actually fetches you more in a deadline deal than you would think because of um, playoff experience, because of outfield defense, because of ability to play numerous positions, being able to pinch hit when they bring in a lefty if he doesn't start in a playoff game, good guy in the clubhouse, all of that. I mean, last week when he made all those errors and then they put him out in center field, and in the second inning he robs a home run out of the bullpen... For me, it was just like, I don't want to see him ever play short again. Like, that was just <laughs> the fact that that happened on the first game that they put him back in center field. Yeah. He, he makes a spectacular catch.
3: They've got two dudes who they would prefer to play in center field over him with, you know, trying to shoehorn Duran in there and, right. and get Duval's bat. So, like, he's, you could make an argument that he's the least valuable on the Red Sox as he would be on any other club.
2: Yeah, I think miscast was the right word. I I think that there's just yeah. It's either that, or if like you're playing for this year, you trade a different outfielder for an infielder, and you put Kike in center field. If you know there's a tra- if there's some sort of trade to be made, and you want Kike here, then you trade somebody else because you have too many outfielders and too few infielders right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, if they wanted to do something like a um buy and sell this year i know we floated the idea of justin bieber um i mean <laughs> jesus christ um <laughs> shane bieber <laughs> oh, that was great course light justin bieber we are on fire today yeah we're having fun this is our Kike pod this is our Kike pod so my idea here is with uh Alex Verdugo, you know he was going to be a guy I get to a little bit later here, but Verdugo, his final arbiter is in twenty twenty four. The Red Sox, as you know, we've just been talking about, have this glut of outfielders who, you know, it's not really making sense. So, if they don't trade uh, Kike, I think a, a buy and sell situation targeting Bieber might make a lot of sense because uh, the Guardians need offense; they need outfielders. Verdugo's pretty good one. I think Verdugo plus some prospects uh, could potentially, you know, net you Bieber, and um, I would like that trade for the Red Sox. I think it'd be a good, good way to sort of toe that line uh, moving forward. What do you guys think about that idea? Something centered around Bieber and Verdugo.
2: I hadn't thought about it. It's really interesting. I'm looking at. So Bieber has one more Arbier, and then he's a free agent. So they would both be free agents after next year, which you might have already said. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, you know, to to replace that, that ace pitcher. And I think that Bieber has kind of, I don't know, he's a weird pitcher in that he was such a great strikeout guy and the velocity has decreased and he's had few subpar outings and Cleveland has so many prospects that are already up between Allen and Bybee and it seems like Gavin Williams is ready by all accounts and they don't really have spots for them. So you almost wish that the Central wasn't such a shit show and that the team winning it was under 500 because Cleveland probably thinks they can still win the division because otherwise... You know, if you're two or three games out and you had Shane Bieber um, and Cleveland goes with the young guys in their rotation, that ends up being a pretty good match. So obviously a lot can change in the next seven or eight weeks, but I like it. I like the idea. Yeah, it kind of just seems like the perfect
3: match of organizations. Red Sox great at developing offensive players. Cleveland great at developing pitchers. Just make the swap. Keaton, you're always one for a good trade. What do you think about that idea?
0: Yeah, I think that makes a ton of
3: sense. All right, the next one uh, is Chris Martin. He's signed through 2024, another bullpen piece that's come in and really lived up to expectations here. Um, you know, I'm guessing you're the direction that you guys are going here, but Keaton, let's start with you. Chris Martin, keep or sell?
0: Yeah, I was actually kind of torn on this one because this is exactly the kind of guy that teams who are competing would. Absolutely love to make a run at at the trade deadline, so I feel like there's going to be a ton of interest in him. However, I hate having to worry about having a real shitty bullpen, and I would love to think that if the Red Sox obviously feel like they can turn this around and have a nice little run here at a, a team that um, can be more consistent in 2024. Uh, to not have to worry about the back end of the bullpen and have Jansen and Martin there basically to lock everything up. Um, so I feel like I would be okay with it if I'm, like, moved by an offer, uh, but I'm not, like, actively shopping him. So a classic fence sitter.
2: What do you think, Bob? <laughs> um, I'm I'm always going to sell the middle reliever. I think Jansen is a different story as a, as a closer who has experience closing, but I think that the first thing that you should sell if you are going to go that direction would be anything that you can get for your middle relievers. And Martin, you go back to the 1st of August last year, you know, in 43 innings, he's got a 166 ERA. You know, he's been pretty good here. He was electric for the Dodgers the last two months of last year. Um, you know, and... and got into the playoffs with them. You know, he's had a, a, really hasn't had many bad outings. I'd say one or two bad outings here, one of which he ended up on the I.L. after that. I mean, he's just been a very good eighth inning pitcher, which I think can be valuable. So I would I would move him maybe before anyone else.
3: Yeah, I think it all depends on the return for me. Like, I get what Keaton is saying, that... Um, it stinks having to worry about building a bullpen every year. And he's one of those guys that was a really good fit because he's a strike thrower and they didn't really have a lot of those. But I also see the point where like a lot of contending teams are going to look at Chris Martin and think that he's a pretty valuable piece, uh, to the puzzle for them down the stretch. So if you can get yeah. like a, you know, top 10 or so prospect from a team for a reliever like Chris Martin, um, I think you do that in a heartbeat or, you know, maybe not top 10, but, you know, top 20 prospect. I think you got to at least think about that um, moving into the future. Um, The next guy I want to touch on is Adam Duvall, Um, you know, free agent after this year, Uh, obviously very hot. His time here so far can play all three outfield positions, hits for power, um, Bob, let's start with you. Would you float
2: Adam Duvall out there? Yeah, I think you have to if he's a free agent after this season. Um, hopefully, once he's back for a week or two, starts to find that power that he had early in the season. I mean, you got to worry about another wrist injury after having that last year, how much power that he's going to have. So I'm sure teams will want to see that, but his strikeout rate has been down in Boston, and... Obviously, we know he hit for power and he's a free agent, and I think that's an easy sell and maybe you can get you know seventy eighty percent of what you would have got for j. d. Martinez when you should have traded him a year ago. What do you think Keats?
0: yeah, definitely he's a guy that I would move. I think he would definitely have some attraction to those competing teams you'd you'd get some offers for him and um now you've got the guys within the organization to play those positions, so it's a, I don't think it's a major loss there. So,
3: Yeah, I'm in agreement with you guys on that one. You have to float Duvall if you're out of it. Uh, the next name is the one that gets me the most excited, though. It's James Paxton, who's going to be a free agent after this year. Um, I think this could quite potentially be the most attractive player available at the deadline should the Red Sox decide to shop Uh, him because of the way that he's pitching, because of how little money he's being paid this year. Um, I think Paxton might fetch a whole crap ton of prospects uh, for a contending team. I would sell him in a heartbeat, especially considering his injury history. What say you, Keaton?
0: Yeah, I mean, if he's keeping this pace up and healthy through the trade deadline... He's two yeah like you you said two things are going to happen he's like a whole bunch of prospects the teams are going to want to add him and also like keeping him on the team through the end of the season you get to the off season he's going to want a whole buttload of money so which well deserved so um which definitely seems like a thing you wouldn't pay him uh so he would definitely walk uh so definitely take the dump him for a whole bunch of prospects while you have the the chance and, and don't risk trying to ride it to the end of the season. Yeah, Bob,
3: I mean, are we off base here that he's going to get a huge return? Or, you know, I mean, are teams going to be scared away by Paxton's injury history? Or are they just going to be looking at a guy who can step in and be like a number two starter for them down the stretch?
2: Yeah, if he makes seven or eight more starts like he has, even close to what he has, then you're not off base at all. You know, I think when you decide to sell, the first thing you do is you say... um we're skipping James Paxton's next start so that he doesn't get injured in the time that we're trying to trade him and then you trade him before anybody else. Um, I guess I said that about Martin but in terms of injury concern (laughs) you make sure that Paxton doesn't take the mound again before you have him traded. Um, Yeah and and next year he'll sign a similar incentive-laden deal with insurance and all of that for his arm but for the time being for two months if he's made 12 13 starts a left-hander throwing with the velocity he has with the strikeouts that he has they could get a ton for him he i agree would would get the greatest return from this group we're talking about yeah it feels almost irresponsible to keep him
0: yeah (laughs) just like it almost felt irresponsible to keep jd martinez last year oh it definitely (laughs) did definitely (laughs) did um
3: Verdugo, though, we already talked about him and the idea of the Bieber trade, but I guess my question here is, uh, do either of you guys look at Alex Verdugo as a building block, one of these guys that you'd like to see the Red Sox commit to long-term, or is this a guy that you're fully okay with shopping around here a little bit as he nears the end of his arbitration years? What do you think, Bob?
2: Yeah, I'm okay with them floating him around. I... I should have a decision on him by now, but I don't, you know, and I have another year and a half to decide, I guess, but, um, (laughs) no, I'm not totally convinced that he's somebody to build around. I think there have been a couple of different seasons this year included that it seems that he's going to take that leap and then I think he's going to have a better year than he has in past seasons, but we're probably going to look at his numbers at the end of the year and say, all right, he was 10% better than he was last year. And he hit, um, let's see, what he, he has five home runs, right? So he's on pace for 12, 13 home runs, and his career high is 13. And he's got 24 RBIs, and his career high is 74. He's got 42 runs, which is great because he's hitting But So he's on pace for... He could get close to 100 runs on that pace, um, partially because of where he's hitting the lineup. But other than that, I think he's just kind of taken a minor step up this year.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, I don't know. I just think that we know what he is. And if he's going see what Andrew Benintendi got in free agency, I don't want to trade or I don't want to um, give that contract to Alex Verdugo.
0: And he hasn't even hit a home run this year. You feel the
2: same way? Benintendi, yeah zero, yeah
0: yeah, big old goose egg. Um, I do feel the same way. I mean he he is um, at least by war, uh, trending on what should be the best season of his career, and Bob pointed out kind of some of those counting stats, and you would expect your leadoff guy to get um, two or pretty darn close to 100 runs, so that makes sense. I was really hoping that like full-on breakout was going to happen. Um, and it looks like through the first month and a half of the season or so um, or monthish, that that was what was going to happen he's obviously cooled off considerably since which is a bit of a bummer to see um, but hopefully he can maybe regain some of that form and, and kind of push for that but um, he's not even stealing bases which is kind of surprising to me um, so I don't think for a guy that doesn't really contribute a lot like I'm not sure if you like you look at his stat line and you're like that's what he does to this this lineup or this roster and you know that that's that's the building block that you're hitching your wagon to um he's kind of just like a a medium jack of all trades cuz it's like cool double digit home runs he has he should have the potential to get the double digit steals, but he's just not running. Um, he is walking a bunch, which is great, but like, is that what you're going to hit your wagon to? Is is the hopes that he continues walking at the highest rate of his career? It seems a little iffy,
3: yeah. I think you, uh, you both have kind of talked me into we're going to have to add a significant prospect to, uh to to Verdugo to to get Bieber <laughs> from Cleveland yeah. here and and he's definitely somebody who I do not want the team to commit to long term I mean I like the player I think he's a a fine player but not somebody who you want to build around I think you either keep him let him run out his years and then shake his hand and wish him luck uh or or you trade him and I think that this might be the best opportunity to get value from him this year so I'd look pretty hard at trading Alex Verdugo. Um, next two I think are quicker. Uh, Nick Pavetta, his final arbitration year is in 2024, and Christian Arroyo, final arb year in 2024. Uh, I assume both of you guys would be okay with seeing what you could get for either of those guys?
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, you see what you can get. I don't know if you're going to get much unless he is lights out in the pen for the next two months. That's really the only path I see to that but yeah sure why not
3: Yeah, and Pavetta has taken nicely to the pen he's got a 2.84 ERA in the pen over the last 30 days so certainly could be an attractive piece and especially with his ability to go multiple innings Um, anyone else that we left out that you guys want to mention uh, as a possible trade chip
0: no I think you covered it all we hit on a lot of guys here
2: yeah I'm good Okay, that's a that's a good list. I mean, honestly, but I think just to close the loop on it, it's like there are a lot of significant pieces um, that could get varying returns, but a lot of free agents um, and those that are not free agents have options. And then you've got a collection of starting pitchers and relievers, um, infielders, outfielders, they have a little bit of everything. So, of course, it's a whole other discussion which direction they're going to go and who is going to be making those decisions, right? I'm sure <laughs> before they decide to buy or sell, they're going to decide whether it's Heim Bloom that's doing that or not, right? <laughs> and if his job's on the line, then he's probably going to buy. But that's a whole other discussion for another day. If they go that direction, I think that they have a, a really interesting group of players to, um, to put on the market.
0: Well, you know what having all these free agents means, Bob? What's that? Financial flexibility for the off-season. Their favorite! I was was gonna say, I I like how you
3: said that they have a little bit of everything, because it reminded me of one of my favorite stores that has a little bit of everything. Family Dollar.
2: (laughs) You know, so the reason that I, uh, (laughs) the reason that I paused is because I was gonna try to find a way to work reese mcguire into the list <laughs> well there and you nothing go came to me so i just Thank worked you. it for you buddy appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> all right
3: uh moving on here a couple news and notes alex Speer has a tweet it says the socks are hoping Chang can resume a rehab assignment next week but he's sidelined again during uh due to soreness in his hand while recovering from his handmate surgery. Story is here this week, then likely to return to uh, Fort Myers. So, uh, you know, it was previously thought that Chang could be activated as soon as today as we we're recording this, but, you know, still some issues there. So Pablo Reyes lives to see another day. The team uh, did DFA Rymel Tapia, uh, opting to keep Jaron Duran in that place instead. Uh, I wrote an article saying why I thought that that was the wrong idea. Um, So go ahead and check that out on the site. Jolie Rodriguez, uh, also to the IL, 15 days with a shoulder issue. Rob Refsneider signed an extension uh, with the team. His extension is worth $1.85 million in 2024. And you get a 2025 option being valued at $2 million. Uh, In addition to that... uh, Bob has a rant about the roster mismanagement overall. So, uh, Bob, I I wonder if you were as fired up as I was about the Tapia thing, but I'm I'm curious to hear where you're going with this.
2: So, I'm going back to May thirtieth um, when they called up Ryan Sheriff and. Then shortly after that, they played a doubleheader against Tampa Bay, and we haven't talked since that Tampa Bay series, at least not about the Major League team. And Sheriff came in in game one of the doubleheader, and he got a huge out with runners on base to keep the game tied in the fifth inning. And then in the second game of the doubleheader, they brought Ryan Sheriff in in the fifth inning of the second game of the doubleheader, and he got a huge out to get out of the inning. And it seemed like he did his job in both of those games. And probably would need to take Sunday off after throwing in both games. Um, But, you know, I, I think that he was the good lefty that they've been looking for. He's had an ERA in the twos at AAA. He had an ERA in the twos in the major leagues and seven appearances. Instead, they threw him back out there in the sixth inning and he threw over 40 pitches in the second game that he'd already pitched in the doubleheader that day. So they pretty much had no choice to send him down because he was probably going to be down for like three days after that and bring in a new arm. Um, so they bring in Ort, and then um, they send down Sheriff after that Saturday game, and then the Tapia situation that you wrote about when they activated Arroyo. So then they sent Ort back down, and they called up Chris Murphy, and Murphy didn't get a start. He ended up pitching in relief. Um, and then, um, they called up John Rocker there, um, Dermody, and then they sent him back down the next day, and then they called up Joe, uh, Jakes, and now he's back up, and there's just been this revolving door, and that, that whole weekend, it felt like they were short a pitcher. You know, they didn't use Nick Pavetta at all in that doubleheader for some reason. They threw Jansen in both games recklessly for too many innings. They threw Sheriff in both games, recklessly for too many pitches that he had to be sent down. And it was like that move in itself started a chain of events that just didn't need to happen. And the game that Dermody pitched, Kluber ends up going 75 pitches anyways. So if he was available to go 75 pitches, I don't know why he didn't just start the game to maybe avoid whatever the hell that was midweek. There's um, no difference between Kluber and Dermody at this point. Right. Yes, yeah, so I agree. If if he, I figure, well, you know, he took a couple of weeks off. Maybe he's not available to go deep into the game, and then they they let him wear it for seventy five pitches, anyways. So there's just been like a management of the bullpen and the roster, and it kind of goes back to the forty man, which Bloom was supposed to be able to kind of manage the edge of that forty man roster and learning from what they did in Tampa Bay and. There was nobody. They had to go and pick up players and shift other players to the 60 man just to make this work because you've got a crew of Brian Mata and Brandon Walter and Chris Murphy that you cannot count on. So none of your AAA guys that are on the 40 are available to be starters. Um, Other ones that are injured and not on the 60 DL. I mean, they got to a point where they literally were trying to churn the last man of that 40 man roster. Um, And it was just so unnecessary. You know, they could have just had Sheriff pitch one out in both of those games and sit him on Sunday and then bring him back on Monday. And he was pitching well. It's just, I don't know, it's just curious to me. And um, I just don't think they're doing a a good job managing both the 26 and the 40-man roster right now on the edges. And maybe that's a very minor nitpicky thing to do. But that's what Haim Bloom was supposed to be good at. And he's not just screwing it up. He's also causing unnecessary controversy and bringing that into the team in the process. So I just, I don't understand it. I think, uh,
3: you know, I agree with everything you said. Um, I also found that annoying. But I also think uh, Cora deserves a little bit of blame for some of this roster mismanagement because I don't think it's exclusively Heimblum's territory. I think that Cora does have some say about, you know, who comes up and right. how that is being managed. And uh, overall, it, it, it does often seem like those two don't have any idea what they're doing when it comes to managing the roster. And, you know, one of the things that we were asked about a couple times on past podcasts was does Shane Drohan have a, a chance to make an appearance this year and uh, now all of a sudden, like, Shane Drohan is not looking that far off should something else happen uh, no. to to one of these guys. And,
2: and that's a... I was alluding to that, right? Thank you for mentioning Cora, right? It wasn't High and Bloom that pitched Sheriff and Jansen for too many pitches that day. Um, that's on Cora for sure, but it was kind of some of the subsequent moves, so they are both to blame for what was going on there. Um, yeah, and with, with Drohan and Jeff Ponce had some great points about him there and, and, and talked about the comparison between that, but it it leads into this pretty well, and the, just the 40 minute. If you look at it as a whole, there's not a whole lot to pull from right now in the way that a lot of these kind of better-managed teams are, uh, are doing.
3: Yeah. Seems Bloom left the Tampa Bay Magic in Tampa Bay. Yep. All right. Uh, we have a question. From Maddie, uh, and she says, or he says, I'm not sure which. Um, I think, I think she. If the Red Sox continue to tread water, would it even be worth it for them to be buyers, subtracting from an average/slash middle of the road farm system to chase a wild card spot? Keaton, what do you think about this? Is it even worth it for them to be buyers?
0: No. I don't think so. And I know, what was it, three weeks ago when we were having this discussion, um, obviously the standings were a lot closer. I think all three of us thought that uh, they had a really good chance to be in a position to be buyers and hoped that if they were in that position that they would. Um, obviously, things have not gone great since, um, and they're certainly not in that position now. But, I mean, not only are they looking up at the entirety of their division, but the more that they kind of tread water, they're going to end up looking up at more and more teams, um, you know, fighting for whatever that last playoff spot is, and it's just going to make less and less sense. And so I think I've completely flipped. I think unless I really go on a run here, as we like, basically straighten themselves out entirely, as we head towards the the trade deadline, I I hope that they are not buyers.
3: Yeah, I think the the lull that they've had here in the last couple of weeks, coupled with the sale injury, has also flipped me as well. So, I'm a hundred percent with you at this point. And I think they're we just named too many valuable pieces. Uh, to other teams that they could get a return for to continue to bolster this system. And and the system is getting deeper. It's not exactly top heavy, but it's deeper. Um, So, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to have, but obviously we, we kind of wanted them uh, to be in a position where they could be buyers. So, all right. Um, Well, thank you everybody for joining us on this episode. We do appreciate all the uh, support the listens the the downloads the rate reviews the questions everything um you can follow us on twitter you can follow keaton at the spoken keats you can follow bob at baba's good 15 you can follow me at, at dev jake and you can follow the over the monster site to read everything we write at over the monster we do appreciate you we'll be back in your ears next week